part two of the conversation with Regina Townsend from The Broken Brown Egg. Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years. And she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome back to Fertility Cafe. So excited that you decided to join us for part two with Regina Townsend from The Broken Brown Egg. And that is the problem. Well, that's the problem. Everybody is afraid to have the conversation. You know, people are afraid to have the conversation about racism and what's going on in this country right now and what is happening to this country right now. And the fact that, you know, we're finally starting to have these conversations because of the murders that have been going on and on and and they continue to keep going on. And, and you know, and it's funny how... Um, here we are, we're, we're talking about fertility, but this fertility, us being able to have children, we're talking about our future children that potentially could be going through and being a George Floyd. Or, yeah. you know, so it, for us, it's not like, oh, it just ends it, ends it. Okay, we had issues with our fertility. We had to go through IVF. Okay, well, we finally went through IVF. Now we're finally pregnant. Well, guess what? Now we have to worry about because we are finally pregnant and we go to the obstetrician. Well, the obstetrician isn't really paying attention or listening to what we're saying and the issues that we're having. And so now we have to worry about, well, am I going to die because of the issues that I am having during this pregnancy? I mean, heck, just look at Serena Williams. Yep. And the issues that she had surrounding her own pregnancy. And she's a very well-known, you know, uh, superstar, right? And her having her own problems. And it's just like, okay, so if she's going to have problems and and having to advocate for herself uh, and about the difficulties that she experienced, well, what about little piddly old me that don't nobody know about? (laughs) And yep. nobody really cares who about that level of healthcare. Who doesn't have that? Yes, tackling healthcare. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Or about these women that are who really don't have a voice. I mean, just in the state of Georgia alone, we have one of the highest mortality rates in the country for Black women when it comes to pregnancy. And out of what I think we have, 159 counties in the state, and out of that. I want to say nine of those counties don't even have a pediatrician. Uh, I want to say it's 79 of those counties that don't even have an OBGYN. So where are these women going to get care? And who who was doing anything about it? Yes. Yes, it really is. And it's just like, okay, it doesn't just end for us at okay, we couldn't have a child, so let's go through infertility, uh, or excuse me, let's go through and seek out a, a fertility treatment. And it's like, okay, well, let's, we can do that, but then we also have to worry about delivery. And then after delivery, then we have to worry about our children. You know, long every, everybody worries about their children, but the worries that we have on top of just a normal worry that any other parent would, we also have to worry about, well, you're going to see my child and the first thing you're going to see is the color of that child's skin. 
And you're yeah. already going to make presumptions about the color of that child's skin without my child ever speaking or opening their mouth to say anything. You already, you've already made up in your mind what you're thinking. So, and then you, and then you wonder why there's so much anger and frustration and, you know, and then and let's even bring it back to IVF real quick or even fertility care. How are we even going to be able to afford it? Listen, first and foremost, <laughs> first and foremost, mm-hmm. first and foremost, and that's one of the difficult things too, because again, you try not to lump us all into one thing. And I know that some of us got it. Some of us don't. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's also a difficult that's a difficult conversation that I've had because I've had people who have um, have said, you know, that there are there are fertility coaches out and they're, they're saying, you know, well, Regina, with what you do with the broken brown egg, you could charge people to, you know, coach them through this. And I have had a very difficult time with that because I'm constantly thinking, yeah, but my primary audience is black women who are already trying to figure out how to pay for the treatment. Hmm. Now I'm going to charge her to talk to me? Girl, I'm just going to show you what to do because I did. Yes. And we're going to walk through it together. I can't think about that because I understand in just my own experience Mm -hmm. how stressful it was to, number one, be dealing with infertility and the physical issues of PCOS without insurance. Mm-hmm. And, and to be afraid that if I don't get a job with better insurance in this amount of time, I don't know that I'll ever be able to address this other thing that's hanging over my head. Mm-hmm. And now that stress is on top of the additional stress. And I'm, I'm worried about, you know, my physical well-being, my marriage, my mental health, my, all of these things. And I'm also stressed about, let me find a job that's got good insurance so that I can have a doctor so I don't have to keep going to the county. Hmm. I actually, I'm probably going to release it um, pretty soon, but I found, I was going through my computer the other day and I found a video that I had done um, a few years, it had to be eight, nine years ago, where I had taken a, a girlfriend to the doctor because I realized that it's important because we have such a mistrust of the medical community it is very helpful for us to have a buddy yes. that we can have to talk to us on the phone while we're going to the doctor or who will sit in the waiting rooms with us. And when I was first dealing with all of this and I didn't have insurance, there have been times where I'd sat in the county hospital or one of the other clinics for hours. I mean, I would bring a book. I would bring a, a lunch because even though I would tell them in triage, yeah, I've been bleeding for 30 days. They would still just give me a number and have me go sit down. Um, And so I was very used to feeling like I'm just going to give up and walk out. And so when I had a girlfriend who needed to go, we went together so that she could have the courage to sit through it the whole time. And so when I watched this video, I remember I saw myself talking about this experience. And we had gone to one of the county hospitals here in Chicago. And not only were we sat in a waiting room where there was no one at the desk. There was no one to tell us we were being waited on. There was nobody um, explaining any of the procedures. There was a, a, a woman who told us she was 41 years old and that they were testing her for fibroids. She was terrified on the phone telling a friend. 
she didn't know what fibroids were, but they had just sent her into this room where they said they were going to do x-rays. Nobody had talked it through with her. Nobody had explained what it was. Nobody even walked her over to the x-ray room. They just sent her. Um, and in this video, I saw, I, I could remember, it was like it was yesterday. The waiting room had broken um, pamphlet holders. The information was crumpled or not, or the, the pamphlet holders were empty. Um, there was no one in the reception area when we found people so that we could ask them, hey, who's supposed to be over here? They were sitting there just chuckling it up. A couple of people who were working there were just talking to each other, hanging out at work. Every desk that we went to, somebody was just getting off work and they'd be like, somebody be with you. <laughs> and I remember my friend saying, thank you for coming because if you hadn't come with me, I would have left. And when I think about our black people who don't have insurance and when you're dealing with something like fertility issues, that experience could very well be the end of the road for you. Mm -hmm. Cause you may just be like, you know what, forget it. Nobody can help me. I quit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about the fact that, you know, like in Illinois, IVF is covered, but I have to have the insurance first. I have to have the job first. And mm -hmm. so there's so many of us who are struggling with even before we can get to the fact that I want to get to IVF, I first just wanted my body to work right. I mm -hmm. first just wanted to not be bleeding for 40 days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the fact that these, these, these hospitals were like, well, here, just sit in the waiting room and would leave me there. Mm -hmm. um, there was one time I remember I sat in a, in a room and they forgot I was there. I had to go back out to the desk to remind them I was there. I had a doctor who um, performed a colposcopy, didn't explain what it was. I've had a doctor go in the hallway and loudly express that she was upset that no one had um, followed up with me because I could have had cervical cancer. Loudly in the hall where I could hear her and everybody else could hear her. Mm. So I think about all of those indignities that are at the root mm -hmm. of before I could even get to dealing with the fertility part. Mm -hmm. I was stuck with incompetence when I was just trying to get reproductive health care, mm -hmm. basic reproductive health care that wasn't just throwing birth control pills at me. Mm hmm constantly on a birth control pills at me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> without even explaining because there are risks to the birth control pill too. Okay. And nobody, nobody. Talks through. No, no, <laughs> no. As a matter of fact, part of nobody that article, knew. the article I read about the, how the myth of the black hyperfertility harms us. One of the things that they had said was reproductive justice is about access to contraceptives and abortions, but it also means the freedom to be a parent. And, you know, from from when my my daughters were young, um, and and granted, it also stems from being at home and being educated at home. But if you're not educated yourself, how are you going to be able to educate the next generation, right? And 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 us talking about um, our reproduction from young and talking about your period and talking about the the things that make us up as women. 
and men, of course, but since I'm a woman, I can speak about being a woman, right? And and being able mm-hmm. to have those conversations early on so that we can begin educating the next generation who can then educate the following generation. And one of it being, you know, no, it is not okay for you to be bleeding for 30 to 40 days. That is abnormal. Mm-hmm. And it is not okay for you to go to a doctor's office and you not be treated equally like everybody else. It is not okay for your doctor to be um, not thinking of your privacy just like they would anybody else's. Like, and it's time that we start calling people out because the problem is, is that we don't. It's just like, well, no, I'm just never going to come back here again. Instead of saying, yeah. you know what, let me tell you what you need to know for the next person. I may not never come back here. However, I am going to inform you of what you need to know so that the next person that's going to come behind me, you're going to treat her or him better than you treated me. Yep. And I'm going to take it up with who I feel can affect change. Exactly. And that's empowering it definitely comes from empowering our young people because mm-hmm. I don't remember any conversation in sexual education class oh, that was no. more than just don't get pregnant. Yeah. And so I don't remember any conversation that said anything about PCOS, that said mm-hmm. anything about fibroids. Mm-hmm. And I can remember there were ads on the radio all the time about fibroid treatment and nobody knows, knew what it was. I just kept hearing ads on the radio from the time I was very young, I remember, there would be ads with this happy-go-lucky music and a black woman saying how there's a new treatment where a hysterectomy might not be required. And it was like, didn't know what a hysterectomy was, didn't know what fibroids were. And we weren't talking about it. And I remember when I found out what they were, I was shocked. I was like, oh, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. That people I know probably dealt with endometriosis. I mm-hmm. never heard about. Mm-hmm. I had in high school people I knew who were afraid that they wouldn't be able to have kids one day, or who had been told that by a doctor, but not explained any. They weren't taught anything. And so, if we can figure out how to empower our young people and stop treating it like we can't talk about sex because it's scary. We can't yes. talk about that because then they're going to do it. Yes. We can't, we got to scandalize it. No, we need to normalize those conversations because that's how you empower people to make informed decisions and choices. Mm-hmm. When you make it so that it's so scary and so hush hush, that's when it's so intriguing. Oh, I got to try it now because you yeah. didn't tell me nothing about it. Okay. So I got to look at it. Okay. And and not explain to them the various types of birth control and how all birth control out there is not good birth control. Um, and, and, you know, my cousin used the depot for years and years and years. And um, to the point now where, unfortunately, it has now affected her and um, where the um, calcium and her bones have pretty much like dried out and she's having all kinds mm. of other issues or whatever. And it's just like, well, that's funny because I used to remember about all of the ads about birth control, you know, the whole, you stay away teen pregnancy and how, you know, to prevent teen pregnancy, you need to be on these birth controls and these long-time birth controls and, you know, this, that, and the other. 
and uh, and, and, and nobody wants to really start talking about all these dang birth controls that are out here that are actually causing more harm than it is helping. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, it prevented me from getting pregnant, but then look at all of the other problems that has caused down the line. And funny enough, I'm starting to get more intended parents that are in their late 20s, early 30s that are needing to work with a gestational carrier because they're having, um, you know, whether it's whatever they have, cancer or um, endometriosis or PCOS, or I had one um, lady from 17, she ended up having to have a hysterectomy. Mm. And always knew that she needed to have uh, to have to have help from a gestational carrier, and it's just like, well, why as a society are we not stopping and looking at, okay, what what is really causing all of these problems that all of these people are starting to have infertility issues at such a young age, and you know, and maybe some of these birth controls that they're saying that is just oh so great and then you know a couple of years later it's like oh no you don't want to use that i mean mm-hmm. even my own sister um back in the days it was um called oh gosh of course i'm going to forget the name norplant or whatever the one that you put in the arm well yeah. she put it got it in her arm then it was causing her a lot of problems so she took it out and they told her, okay, you know, it's going to take a while. Um, you'll be fine as far as like birth control or whatever. It's going to be in your system for quite some time. You should be good. Well, she took it out. I think like a month or two later, she got pregnant with my niece. And my niece actually ended up being born um, where her fingers were deformed and her toes were deformed. Um, but, you know, that don't nobody want to take responsibility that it was that birth control the birth control, the residual right. effects of birth control. Exactly. And even with my daughters, I mean, you know, they're older and it's just like when we started having those conversations about birth control, like um, it will be non-hormonal and we will be monitoring this. And it wasn't a conversation of her hiding the fact that she was on birth control. It was the conversation of let me help educate you so that when yeah. you do go to the doctors, you know what you're talking about. And they're not just going to tell you, well, this is what you need to do and this is how it's going to be done. Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to have a conversation together. You're going to educate me. And then we are going to make an informed decision together. Yep. And that is not something that people think 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds are ready to talk about. But Mm -hmm. let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. As a senior librarian who (laughs) sometimes on on accident and sometimes because they want to tell me everything about their life, these are conversations that they're having with their friends anyway. Oh, yeah. So you might as well (laughs) make it so that talking to you is a safe and accessible thing. Mm-hmm. And that comes also with us getting comfortable with it ourselves mm-hmm. and letting go of some of our own feelings about it so that we can have conversations that are effective and impactful and not frightening because that fear does not prevent anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Creating fear does not prevent things. It doesn't do that. It just makes it so that we have more knots to untangle in the long run. Right. I've also got a concern about. Doctors having conversations with 
with these young people without us giving the information because they tell them things that they haven't had any experience with yet. And so they don't understand the impact of what's being told to them. Mm -hmm. So like I have, like I said, I had people when I was in high school who were told by a doctor, you will never have kids or you're going to have difficulty having kids. And that was the end of the conversation. And I have people to this day, I have a a soror who her daughter is uh, in college now. And there was a a doctor who told her when she was like 16 or something that she was um, either not going to have kids or she was going to have difficulty having kids. And I remember when my soror was talking to me about it, she was saying, you know, but when you're telling that to a 15 or 16 year old who doesn't want kids, they're not thinking about this. Mm -hmm. They're just like, oh, okay, thanks for letting me know. You know, they're not thinking one day I might one day I will, Mm -hmm. or one day I won't. But why? Explain to me what is happening to my body while that is the case. And what will I need to do when I get to a point where I may want children? What are you telling me my options will be then? What are you telling me my options are now? And so because we haven't had the conversation, when you're telling that person that, and they have no concept of how that's going to affect them in the future, Mm They leave it at that without asking the necessary question. Mm -hmm. And then 15 years later, they're pissed at the fertility center trying to understand why nobody told me. Mm -hmm. Nobody told me this is what this was. Nobody told me what pelvic inflammatory disease was. Mm -hmm. Nobody told me tubes could be blocked. Nobody told me that, you know, going through a pad an hour is not okay. Nobody told me. Mm-hmm. And that's the anger that a lot of us have mm-hmm. is that, that nobody told me conversation that nobody said, Oh, three other people in our family have struggled with mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. or two other, or did you know this person in our family was adopted? Did mm-hmm. you know this? Mm-hmm. You don't have any other mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so then when you're in it, you're so pissed because you're like, I'm alone, but I don't have to be, mm-hmm. I didn't have to be alone. I didn't have to, experience this now because if somebody would have talked to me, I could have addressed this then. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like I'm fighting the clock. Right. I'm chasing my own, I feel like I'm chasing my own tail. I'm fighting this clock that's loud over my head. But oh at the same time as a black person I need to work harder than everybody else. So oh let me make sure that I'm getting my career and oh let me make sure that I'm not a statistic. So let me make sure that I got this going and make sure that I got that going and make sure that I find this partner and make sure and when you add all of that up mm-hmm. and then you get to the point where you feel like, you know, everybody has lied to me and I'm tired, mm-hmm. you, you're just angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just You're angry and then you turn around and it's like, well, who can I really turn to to actually get accurate information? Like, I don't know what I don't know. So how do I know where to go to get the information that I need to get? How do I know that the information that is being shared out there is really factual and it's true and it it pertains to me? I don't know that. So, of course, you're going to be frustrated. You know, I um, had did a a show on the OWN network and uh, about Black women and infertility and since then, I've been getting a lot of phone calls from other Black women that are dealing with infertility, and it's the same thing over and over again. I had no idea. 
Um, I don't know which way to turn. I don't know if I can trust the doctors of what they're saying. I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford any of this. One lady was telling me just to get the testing that she needed done was like thousands of dollars for just testing. And she's like, Mm -hmm. I work. I work like a dog. But my insurance, and I have insurance, but the insurance that I have, they don't cover anything fertility related. Not a test, not a medication, not screening, nothing. Nothing. Everything has to come out of my pocket. So how do I know that the tests that they're going, they're telling me that I need to take, are they really good tests? Are they really going to find the issues? And granted, no, this doesn't just affect Black women, but Unfortunately, though, for a lot of Black women, when it comes to finding the money that they need to be able to pay for this, it's not, you know, I can't just call my mother and say, hey, mom, can you give me $10,000 so I can go run all of these medical tests and see why I'm having all of these issues? It's not really realistic. Um, so in, in society, I think we... We need a drastic change in from the time a child is born of color through adulthood on from how we teach our children, what we say to our children, how we educate our children, and then forward. So that if there is an issue when they are teens and they're getting these abnormal periods, it's not a conversation of like, oh, I'm going to have to talk to my girlfriend because I can't really talk to my mom about this because, you know, I don't want to talk about them. Or thinking that it's normal and thinking like, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, okay, good. I'm not getting my period right now. Oh, I haven't had my period in six months. I know I haven't been sexually active, so I'm not pregnant, but that's okay. I I don't have to deal with it. It's like, no, actually, that's not okay. (laughs) There's a problem with that. We're not educating each other. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying that's not how the body works. And we Mm -hmm. don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? No. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And I also want to talk about um, the black men who also definitely have a distrust in. in any kind of doctor, like, I mean, gosh, even my husband, this man will not go to the doctor. I mean, he has to be literally like damn near dragged <laughs> to the doctor's office. Yeah. And, and it gets to a point where by the time he gets there, it's so bad off because of that distrust that we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. And it also has to start with educating are the black men in our black boys in the community about, okay, just like you, your black sisters, we, they need to be empowered about their bodies. Well, you as black men need to have the same. And we need to start having the conversations because sometimes the issue is on the black men side of fertility, but they're not going to the doctors and, and seeking out treatment. Like, what? No, they don't do that. You had mentioned, yes, you had mentioned about your husband having um, issues with diabetes. How Mm -hmm. open was he 
to go and seek out treatment, um, you know, along with you? Well, I think when he first realized he had diabetes, it was because he was losing weight. And and ironically, this past week, my niece's father um, was in the hospital. Same exact thing. He was just feeling sick. And it wasn't, it was probably something that had been there. You know, you've been feeling a little down, but you're so used to, I don't go to the doctor, you know, either it costs or they don't listen, or you go at one thing, you come out with two, whatever the case, and just hadn't gone. Mm. And then was so sick that he finally ended up in the hospital last week. And now we just found out he has diabetes. And I think the same thing was happening with my husband. He was losing weight. He thought it had been because he was walking. Um, it also will affect your bladder control. It'll affect, it'll affect all these other things. And it's not until it gets that bad that then they're like, well, let me go see what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been fighting for years now with this diabetes. And even now, he still has to kind of push himself to make sure to take the medication, make sure to go follow up, make sure to call, make sure to check in and, and get his levels checked and those kind of things. Because the other thing about being a black man, at least that I can observe as obviously not being a black man, is that they're given so many messages about what it means to be a productive man. Mm. They're given so much messaging about what it means to be a man in general, but then they're fighting against stereotypes also. They're fighting against, you know, I do have a job. I do go to work. I do go to school. I do take care of my family. I do I do all these things. And so now they're overworking themselves to the point where they don't take time to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. They don't, I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to deal with that. I don't have time to, you know, because if I don't go to work, then y'all going to say I'm a lazy black man. Mm-hmm. If I don't go to school, then y'all going to say I'm an ignorant black man. If I don't take care of my family first, then y'all going to say I'm a nothing black man. Mm-hmm. So I got to do all those things. And so at the end of the day, when I'm exhausted, I'm not thinking about going to the doctor. I'm not thinking about eating right. I'm thinking, you know what? I got to work these two shifts and I got to make sure I got this going, make sure I'm doing that. Let me grab some McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Let me grab some women. Mm-hmm. And then when it's bad and they do slow down, we have more knots to untie mm-hmm. than we would have had in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think me pushing so much health-wise, you know, both of us are bad patients as much as we try to, you know, stay on top of it, having these issues and fighting so long, it, it exhausts you, wears you out. And it makes you a little, you get a little bit of, you know, PTSD about going to the doctor. You get, cause it's always something. It's always something. And every time I go, it's, it's something else. And they tell me this is going to work and it doesn't work. Or they put me on this and then that takes six months out of my life. And so you get a little worn out. And so we both have to kind of push each other now to just be like, okay, now, what you don't have to fight with Regina on is she's going to do her annual. She's going to go and do her um, the, the evaluation. She's going to go do all of those things. I might have to fight with him on that. Mm-hmm. But he's also determined to try to fight his things with diet and exercise and things like that. And I'm like, I get all of that. But also, I would like to catch things early if there's mm-hmm. anything to catch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we both have that residual kind of trauma of feeling like these doctors did not help me or they made me feel unhelpable and, and I'm tired and I'm worn out and I feel like I just need to keep moving because if I sit still, 
I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. If I take a minute for myself, if I do something that's for my own self-care, there's 15 other things that I could have or should have been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another thing with us that we need to work on, not only just um, women, but black black people in general. Um, this feeling that if you take time to take care of yourself, be that going to the taking a day off work to go to the doctor hmm. is not lazy and it's hmm. not stupid. It's you taking care of yourself. There's so many black men who will go get their car looked at at the first sound, at the first anything, <laughs> and we'll get their body looked at. You know, it's like ridiculous. You'll take care of everything else except for your body. And that's the most expensive thing you have because it's the, irre- it's the most irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. And we have to get better at accepting and recognizing that I have the right to take care of myself. I have the responsibility to take care of myself. Um, and then another another site that I've been paying attention to that a lot of people I've noticed have been paying attention to is the NAP ministry. Um, and she talks a lot about rest as resistance and how as black people, we've been given this idea that we need to be a part of grind and hustle culture mm. to avoid being lazy or our ancestors weren't allowed to rest, you know, and how now we need to take the time, literally take it mm-hmm. to rest, mm-hmm. to rejuvenate our mind and our body because we deserve it. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I think we fight against also when it comes to our health. We just, we push, we move and we do it, we go on, we, we taking care of business. We got to keep moving because anytime that we're, you know, resting or doing something for ourselves, we're afraid once again of falling into those stereotypes of being a lazy black person, being a stupid black person, being an ignorant black person, you know, and instead of being someone who is empowered and um, that's really smart that you sit down and take care of yourself. And it's really good that you're taking care of your mental health as well as your physical. It doesn't, we're not always given those messages. We're giving you supposed to be doing 10 times more than everybody else. Right. Yeah. And if you got sick, it's your fault, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and go to work. Like right now in this, in this environment, it's funny that everybody is now finally saying, if you're sick, don't come to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I know a lot of black people who, you know, their family be like, you go to that job. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel good, you let them send you home. You go anyway so that they know that you're committed to the job. Mm-hmm. You go anyway. Now, all of a sudden, we're recognizing, no, if you don't feel good, go lay your butt down. Mm-hmm. But we've been so conditioned that if I take anything for myself, I'm being every negative stereotype of blackness. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to take care of myself. I'm not allowed to think about myself. I'm not allowed to dream. I'm not allowed to plan. I'm not allowed to hope. And that's what these images that we're receiving right now are also trying to reinforce. Mm -hmm. And I'm not allowed to speak up for myself. Yes. Oh, no, of course not. Yeah. Of course not. I'm not allowed to call it out. I'm not allowed to call people out. I'm not allowed to speak up for myself. I'm not allowed to say this is not okay. I'm not allowed to, you know, call racism, racism. I'm not allowed to talk mm-hmm. about what is going on in this country. I'm not allowed to say this is not right. Yeah, all of those things. 
Or you're making it up. You're making yes. it up. You're making yes. it worse than it is. You won't yes. let it go. Why do you yes. make everything so divisive? Yes. Why do you have to talk about what Black people are experiencing? We're all dealing with something. Yes. We're all, you know, every time we're in a position where we want to show, yeah, I know this is happening to a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Here's how this is affecting me differently. Mm-hmm. Even if we say it as nicely and politely and respectfully as possible, I understand this is happening to all of us. Mm-hmm. However, humans a part of it that's affecting me differently. Mm-hmm. We get immediately that hand slap of, yeah, but all lives matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're making it divisive. Why, you, why, why does everything have to be about race? Mm-hmm. Why are you bringing that up again? Mm-hmm. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I never owned slaves. I didn't have a problem. I have five black friends. I don't say anything negative. I don't see color. And it's like the first thing that I need you to do before you rush to dismiss me, even though you don't think that's what you're doing. The best way for us to move forward is if the first thing you say is I hear you. Hmm. That's it. That's all you got to do. I hear you. Mm -hmm. I do that right now with Judah because I want him to understand in a world that may not ever fully hear him. I want him to know, even if I'm going to say no, Mm -hmm. the first thing that comes out of my mouth is I hear you. I hear you. I hear how you feel. I hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I hear you. I understand how that must feel. Or if I don't understand how that must feel, I'm help me understand. Yeah, I empathize. Help me understand. Mm -hmm. Help me show me what that feels like. Show me what that looks like. Mm -hmm. How can I help? Mm -hmm. What do you need from me? Because that tells the other person that you are not dismissing their experience. Mm -hmm. You're recognizing it. And you're accepting that they're allowed to have one. Mm -hmm. They're allowed to have one. I'm allowed to feel like my experience of infertility is different. Mm -hmm. It is not worse. It is not better. It is different. I experience it differently. Mm -hmm. That does not take away from any white person who is struggling to pay for infertility treatment. That does not take away from any white person who is dealing with PCOS. That does not take away from any white couple who has had to deal with a failed adoption or who has had to deal with any kind of fertility struggle that has made their life difficult. Mm -hmm. That is a pain that we identify with and fully understand about each other. That being said, in addition, there are additional things that I may have to consider as a black person experiencing fertility that may not enter your thought processes Mm -hmm. and that's okay Mm -hmm. that's okay Mm -hmm. it doesn't take anything away you know we don't have to do the pain olympics i think sometimes people get caught up in the pain olympics who had it worse Mm -hmm. who who is struggle is more intense Mm -hmm. and that's not what these conversations are about it's not about the pain olympics it's about the fact that there are a lot of things that some of us are dealing with that we feel like we can't say out loud and being able to say something out loud is liberating. Mm-hmm. Once you get it out, then you can deal with it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when that fire is burning up in you, you're so busy trying to keep the fire subdued, you can't even put it out. Mm-hmm. You're trying to keep it down. You can't even get to the fire things. You're so busy trying to let me not get upset. Let me not cry. Let me not show my anger. Mm-hmm. Let me not take a day off work. Let me not express how I felt when this doctor said this to me. Let me not represent the race incorrectly today. Let me, you know, all of those things is a decision. 
And I, it's so much more heavy than people think it is. Yep. And, it, and it's not that I want to do the pain Olympics with anybody. It's that I can't hold all of this in all of the time. Mm-hmm. I can't. It's not good for my mental health. It's not good for those who I, I love and care for. I can't do my best when I don't feel my best. And yep. feeling my best includes expressing myself. I have to be free to express myself. Just like everybody else. And and I mm-hmm. you know, and I know I've said this before on the podcast, but I'm gonna definitely say it again. Being willing to see somebody else's perspective. That's it. Just be willing to listen and see and, and hear somebody else's perspective without a pre-judgment of, well, because you didn't experience it, it must not be so. Or yeah. because you didn't have that experience, it can't be true. And it's just like, no, we all have different experiences. We are all unique in our own way, which means we're all going to have different experiences. We're all going to see different things. It could be the same exact thing, but I might look at it differently than you, Regina, are going to look at it. But it doesn't mean that it's any less. Yeah. So, you know, I think... Um, I think this is an amazing start to a conversation, but that's the point. It's a start of a conversation. (laughs) There's so many more, not just conversations, but I think there's so many more things that need to be done in order for, for, for instance, by the time Judah gets to be our age, where the conversation that him and, you know, his wife or partner or whatever are going to have at that point is going to be different than what we're actually having this conversation about. We pray so. I pray so. Mm -hmm. I pray so. I I have these conversations with my niece. My niece is 13. I have these conversations and I tell her mother, hey, look, this is what we're talking about. Do you have any objections? Mm -hmm. Because at 13, there were already things that I could have been paying more attention to about my period. Mm -hmm. There are already things that I could have asked questions about. There are already things, considering that her father now has diabetes and her aunt has PCOS, and I'm pretty sure other women in my family have had PCOS, thyroid issues, endometriosis, fibroids. Those conversations need to start now Mm -hmm. so that she doesn't get to be 25 and pissed. Mm or feel like her body has betrayed her mm-hmm. or that she has to be frenemies with her own body mm-hmm. and have to relearn herself all the time. Mm-hmm. She shouldn't have to do that. So I've made it my business right now to be as vocal as I can because I don't want this to be the same conversation 20 years from now, 30 years from now. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. It really yep. shouldn't. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. These are conversations that need to be had now so that th- these things are normalized in such a way that we can fix things because we're addressing them head on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and full circle, that's what we were talking about in terms of race when we first started this conversation mm-hmm. is that there are some difficult, dirty, muddy, gross parts that get band-aids, that don't need band-aids. They need full-on surgery. Mm -hmm. And it's messy, and the recovery time is longer. But the healing is better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It has to be healed. It can't just be covered up. It has to be. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, you'll be dealing with the same problem again, and it's going to come back worse. Worse. There you go. Yep. 
It sure yeah. is. Well, Regina, oh Lord, I think we could go on for hours. <laughs> But we're going to end it here today. Um, is there any last parting words you want to share? And I just want to say we will be having this, uh, continuing this conversation on more. Uh, but for now, is there any parting words that you would like to share? I just, I guess one thing that I always tell people is that this is bigger than babies. Hmm. And that I want people to keep that in mind. Either if they're on the clinic side or the uh, medical professional side, keep it in mind that when you're dealing with people, this is not just people who want a baby. This is people who are trying to get their bodies to work correctly, who are trying to better understand how to use this great, magnificent piece of machinery that they were blessed with. Hmm. They don't know how to make it work. And you have the beautiful job of being the mechanic that helps them learn how to work it. And I think for those of us who are on the patient side, understanding that we have more rights than we think we do and more power than we think we do. This is not just about you wanting children. This is about, you know, at the, at the heart of it, for many of us, having children is our way of leaving our stamp on the world. This is our way of working our way through the world. And so it deserves whatever you feel you need, be that rest, be that a doctor who listens to you, be that being vocal or having your own experience that you can name how you want to and not feel like you're just being pushed around and around. This is bigger than babies on both sides. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that I just want us all to kind of be comfortable with is that, yes, there, there, there are babies in the, in the conversation, but this is bigger than that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I concur. Well, thank you, Regina, <laughs> so much for joining us today. I'm so glad that we found time and we're able to chat. It's always good. It keeps the fire going. It reminds me why I do what I do. Yes. Um, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.